Hey everyone, I'm Uswa. And I'm Yasmin. Welcome to the Inner Work Podcast. Ally Squared's official podcast where we break down all facets of allyship and transform traditional allyship into a conversation. Like we said in the last episode, episode one of season two, we're switching things up a little bit. Last season, we talked a lot about our emotions, and we didn't realize we're going to talk a lot about our emotions, but when we heard the season back, we realized that's exactly what we were doing. And so we thought that this season, we would completely lean into our emotions as as it comes up and as we talk about equity concepts. And so... Every episode of this season, we're going to present you with two emotions that might seem or probably are dualities of one another and talk about them in the context of equity. Yes. And today we're going to be talking about shame and honor. Yep. Two very, very heavy words. And um, I think this is one that when our podcasting was talking about it, like the definitions of these two emotions were very subjective. I think everyone had a different perspective and I'm sure you and I will also have different perspectives on them. Yeah. I think both um, shame and honor are very contextual and I think it's very, very based. Like your viewpoint on what each thing is and what each definition is, is completely based on your lived experiences. Yeah. Yeah. So let's start with the word shame. So when you think of the word shame is me, what do you think of? Like what goes to your head? I think a lot about being a woman, Mm. like my experience being a woman and that like, as soon as you say the word shame, I immediately think of like my experiences being a woman. That's a very, very, um, like it, it clicks for me now that you said it, but I didn't even go there. So like, what about the, you know, being a woman as part of your identity and the word shame or the feeling of shame connects, like, what do you to guide me through that? So I feel like my, like everything that I know about being a woman is always based on around what is okay and what is proper for women to do. And that could be like societal norms and it could also be the way that I was raised, but I always think of shame and I relate it back to being a woman, just like what we wear, what we're allowed Mm -hmm. to do, things that we're allowed to say, how we're allowed to sit, how we're allowed to dress, all of these things, you know, and what, what is okay for you to do in society and what's, shameful Mm -hmm. and so what does the feeling of shame bring up for you like when you felt ashamed or you felt shamed what are some of the emotions that have like coexisted with that always embarrassment Mm. for me embarrassment like of yourself of myself yeah even if it's like really simple so I know one I, I don't know why but telling um an older gentleman at like a family function that I was at that I wanted to be a lawyer I was like Mm -hmm. 15 and he immediately shamed me for it like Mm. what how could you want to be a lawyer you need to have kids like you Mm. how are you going to be able to have children like when you're if you're a lawyer because being a lawyer stops your reproductive system. Yeah, like it yes. completely stops it. They halt. Yeah, yeah, it shuts it off. Mm-hmm. So um, I felt like embarrassed that I wanted to do something like that, that I had even brought it up mm-hmm. because he 
shamed me for it. Yeah. You know, it's almost like as a woman, you should feel like you, you should feel shame when you want to do these, you know, these things when you have these big aspirations and goals. Yeah. That's really interesting that you say that because I think like, I feel like it, it made a lasting impact on you because I remember like early in our friendship, you talking about wanting to be a lawyer and then just kind of like talking yourself out of it. And so you didn't pursue law. Um, no, I didn't. And so I wonder if that had like that being repeated as I imagine it must have been made an impact on your decision to not pursue law. Oh, it definitely did. Yeah. I mean, that's a separate conversation, but <laughs> <laughs> for sure it did. But I mean, that happened when I was like 14, 15 years old and I mm-hmm. still remember it. Yeah. I think for me, like the shame in itself is a duality because like I remember feeling constantly like I was ashamed of my color and my culture. Mm-hmm. So I'll, I'll talk about color first. So in middle school, there are these group of girls who were also South Asian, but were incredibly, like, they were lighter skinned than me, and they were incredibly fair and lovely. Fair and lovely, yes. <laughs> And for those of you who didn't get that reference, there is a brand in South Asia called Fair and Lovely, and a lot of their products include bleach in them. So take that as you will. It's a skin lightening product, yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, we're a lot lighter than me and would make, like, not outwardly, but in the way they acted, would make me feel ashamed of how dark I was. And I was darker when I was younger. I don't know how I became lighter. I don't actually know how that works. Science Ally Squared community, please help me out with that one. DM Ally Squared and answer that question for me, but that's a side note. But in the ways that they were like, you know, I can't get tan in the summer. I can't, you know, like I can't look, you know, like that color. Like, oh, so you're so, like, you know, you're, you wear clothes that make your skin color look so nice. That must be so hard. Like, mm-hmm. you know, things like coded messages that would make me feel ashamed my skin color mm-hmm. to the point where there was a time in my life I remember where I used to try and rub the brown out of me mm-hmm. which as we all must know does not work no. nor should it work because that's really screwed up um so I think for me shame had a lot to do with kind of what you said is like someone says something to you and you're like oh I'm like you're questioning the very existence that you like had created for yourself. And then I think the other one is on the other end, feeling ashamed about my culture. So I remember later in high school, um, we used to have something called a mosaic lunch. And that was like mm-hmm. essentially a lunch where people from we used to bring their cultural food and would dress in their cultural dress and they would have performances. And one year I was co-hosting it. Um, and I like made a whole thing of it, spent months and months planning it, everything, but didn't show up in my cultural dress and did not bring any cultural food because I was so embarrassed of it. And so like shame. Uh, and then a lot of people around me, even though they were Pakistani, were born here. And so I was one of the only immigrants in my friend group in my high school. Um, and I think I had shame about coming straight from Pakistan, like that whole fresh off the boat kind mm-hmm. of thing. Um, 
I had an accent when I first came and I literally used to go home and practice how to speak with a Canadian accent until my accent went away. Mm -hmm. And at that mosaic lunch, I did everything I possibly could to not make myself adhere to my culture in any way because I was ashamed of it. Now to unpack that was years and years of mass like messaging from kids growing up being like, you're too brown, your skin color is the color of crap, like just so many different things. Like, you know, don't go out and get tan because you'll get even more brown, like just horrible things said. Mm -hmm. And so for me, shame has a connotation of, you know, too being too much of something. Mm. I think, okay, so we had a conversation in the car the other day Mm -hmm. that I brought up with you that I was speaking to my family about that we find it very interesting that a lot of um, like second, third generation Pakistani, South Asian people try very hard to be more cultural, you know, like Mm -hmm. we really grasp onto the culture because it's like we don't want to lose it. And then on the other side of it is that first generation people or people who were weren't born here they tend to run from the culture mm-hmm. a little bit and i find that very interesting now that you're saying that you felt ashamed of quote unquote being like the fob mm-hmm. of the friend group you know yeah so that that's just a side note for no, me i find that it's cool that you mentioned that too because like so both Eids you and I have spent together mm-hmm. and we've both dressed up in Pakistani clothes and you walk with like so much confidence and pride through our apartment to go like to your car and I just like remember both times just watching you and being like I am so self-conscious right now like if it wasn't 30 degrees outside I'd put on a jacket so that people couldn't see me and, like, I know that you, like, sometimes when you were working and then you had to go to, like, an eat dinner with your family would change at work. And I would never, like, I think in my head, the idea of doing that, like, i rather show up completely naked <laughs> than, yeah. like, you know? So, like, it's so interesting how shame or, you know, like, for you, you, well, we're going to go into honor in a second, but, like, you are honoring yourself and a part of your identity and your culture and wearing all of these things. For me, I'm like shameful, even though I looked at myself in the mirror inside our apartment and I was like, I look wonderful. Yeah. I did look wonderful. I was like, I look great. I feel good. I'm glad I'm dressing up. No one forced me to dress up. I wanted to dress up. My entire family is dressed up. The first, we all color coordinated. It was big shebang, something to like celebrate and enjoy. But for the five minutes from our apartment door to your car. Yeah. Complete shame. Interesting. This is very interesting. Yeah. And you're right. It's because I cling on, like I'm like finally somewhere to like wear Mm -hmm. all these clothes that I have too. Yeah. You know, because my family lives quite far Mm -hmm. and yeah, I, I think what from an equity perspective, this really tells you is that, Shame manifests itself in incredibly hypocritical ways. Mm -hmm. So I think what I'm like really getting at here is the fact that you and I, from the same culture, the same age, 
same high school, literally down the street from one another, growing up for the majority of our lives, feel shame in completely opposite ways. And yet that shame is so tangible for both of us. Mm -hmm. Because for me, growing up, you know, wanted to be a lawyer, wanted to be a politician, wanted to be a diplomat. Like, my big thing was I wanted to be a diplomat growing up. Yes, I I remember that. I really know what diplomacy was. No, I'm John Fraser. You telling me I want to be a diplomat, diplomat. and I was like, "Cool. What what is that entail? What would you be doing?" Yeah, you know. And everyone in my family would say, "She's gonna be a diplomat, and she's gonna be a great diplomat." Mm-hmm. And so, like, never feeling ashamed from a gendered way. But I also know that, like, my family is extraordinarily feminist. I would say when it comes to this. Like, yeah. this part of our life is, like, education and professional achievement is very, very feminist. And so, like, the different ways that, like, the messaging in our life seeped through us to then result in shame of a certain kind is very interesting to me. And I think, for me, shame felt like guilt. And it felt like guilt for... Because I think I knew in my heart that I, I didn't hate being brown. I just hated how other people made me feel for being brown. Right. Like, I myself, I think, without that cultural stimuli, would not have felt ashamed about it. Well, I don't think we're born with shame. No. I think even, like, if people much far, like, farther away, if I saw it on the news or whatever, I hadn't experienced it myself, had said it, I'd been like, I don't understand why people are, like, making fun of people for being brown. Like, mm. But because it had happened to me in my, yeah. like, environment, I think that's what it was. Um, so, like, just guilt for feeling ashamed of it while also feeling guilt for being it kind of thing. Yeah, this is so – because – so I, I think I've spoken about this before, but I grew up, like, predominantly – not grew up. My young years were in a predominantly white city – and there was like a small group of Pakistani kids and they all hung up. Like when I say small, I mean like maybe six kids in the mm-hmm. whole city that mm-hmm. were around my age, right? And they always made me feel like I was not brown enough. Mm-hmm. Like, oh gosh, like you're this half white girl and like you just don't know anything about yeah. like how could you know anything about the culture? Yeah. Like that's so sad for you. Poor you poor thing. Like your father had like a child with a, you know, someone that wasn't Pakistani and that like, must have been horrible it's for terrible yeah. for you. Like you've just lost all cultural roots. So I clung to the culture. Like it made me feel ashamed to feel like, Oh my gosh, I don't know enough. Like, Mm. I don't know enough about the religion. I don't know enough about the culture. I don't know the language. Like, I need to watch all the movies. I need to know all the music. Like, all of these things just made... That made me feel ashamed of not being, quote-unquote, brown enough. I I wonder if you had put... Like, if someone had put you and I in a room and, like, when we were younger and told us to talk about it, yes, it would have been the most awkward conversation in the world going on. But I wonder if that would have changed our outlook or if it would have just been like, Oh, I don't understand that girl. Yeah. I mean, I don't under, I didn't at the time understand what I was feeling, but now I understand what mm-hmm. I was feeling. Like at the time, again, I would feel very embarrassed. Mm-hmm. Like 
I can, I've always been able to, for the most part, understand when people speak like the language, Urdu to me. Mm-hmm. So they would speak Urdu to me, but like, I can't communicate back. Yeah. Like I'm speaking back to you in English. Yeah. And also that's a part of me just being embarrassed about like, maybe my accent's not yeah. enough, you know, maybe I'm going to say it wrong. So I just can't even try. Yeah. But all of those things, like, I, I didn't understand what I was feeling. All I knew is that it made me feel bad. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think when you're a kid, that's all you know is like it makes you feel bad and then it conditions you. Yeah. And now we know that it's it's shame. Like you're shaming me for this or you're making me feel ashamed of myself. Mm-hmm. But I think it's a hundred percent like nature versus nurture. I think it's all yeah. nurture. Yeah, I agree. I think the other thing is two things. First of all, back then the other thing that I was really really hyper aware of that I was shamed for was also money because mm. we grew up in a very affluent area yes but my parents and my parents moved to Canada during the recession mm-hmm. so like there was no jobs literally yeah. no jobs happening for them and so like we did not have very much money especially when it came to expendable income and I used to be so ashamed about not like not going on the grade eight trip to Montreal or Quebec City and not being able to go to that ski trip or not being able to have like the new what Jansport backpacks that were yes, in. Yes. Yeah, like not having that backpack and just having the same backpack for the whatever. The Walmart years. backpack, you the know. Walmart backpack. Yeah, I had the Walmart backpack exactly. too. Yeah. You pick the brightest colors. Zellers, actually. Oh, <laughs> yeah. well, I miss Zellers. Yeah, Zellers. Anyways. Midnight Madness sale. <laughs> Shout out to Zellers. Please come back. Um, yeah, no, but like feeling ashamed of that. And now I think of all the different ways that I was shamed in my life, this is the one that has now turned into honor. Because mm. I like now look back and I'm like, my parents sacrificed everything Mm -hmm. their much financially stable like house and life in Pakistan to come here and not just come here and live you know a moderate lifestyle and like a comfortable lifestyle no they sacrificed some of their finances to live in a place just because John Fraser was and Thomas Street and all those schools were the most uh highest rated Mm -hmm. in the area like had the best you know um testing rates had the best like mix of people like that kind of thing so they sacrificed a lot of financial comfortability to be able to give me the education I have which honestly like helped me out a lot Mm -hmm. because I knew so much more and I knew how to write a lot better than a lot of the people I went to university with Mm -hmm. um and so for me it's like now it's like a badge of honor to say that I had parents Mm -hmm. who risk it risked it all and sacrificed it all to give me the life I have now and look at us we're we're living in a Toronto apartment and we're either completely done school or almost done school yeah and like we're living the good life when it comes to those things and so I think that is the one thing that has turned into honor for me. So when you think about honor, do you think more about your parents and like honoring the sacrifices that they mm-hmm. made or is it more personal? No, I think it is honoring my parents. And I mean, like that sometimes results in a lot of pressure I put on myself mm-hmm. and not pressure they put on me. My parents have never been like, 
you have to make our sacrifices worth it. You know, like everyone talks about the immigrant lecture. I did not get that version of the immigrant. I got other versions of the immigrant lecture, but not that one. Yeah. I never felt like my from my parents, I had to honor their sacrifices. I felt like I put pressure on myself to honor my parents' sacrifices. And I still do for sure. That's why a lot of the things that I do in my life are very strategic to make sure that my parents look good, Mm -hmm. you know? And so um, I think for me, I'm really glad that I've gone through that journey to now get to a point where I feel like I I honor my parents for that. Mm Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I feel like I struggled a little bit more when thinking about this episode with what what is honor mm-hmm. for me. And I'm still not 100% sure I know the answer, but I definitely feel like honor is a little bit more personal for me just because I feel like neither one of my family's com- like sides completely understands exactly who I am because no one really understands what I personally like the experiences that I've had because I'm not a hundred percent like my mom not a hundred percent like my dad so I'm just like there's no way that you could know so for me it's turned so much more into less trying to honor everyone else Mm -hmm. and make everyone else okay with my decisions and like please people and more about just like honoring who I just genuinely am as a person Mm -hmm. and like my own personality, my sense of humor, all of those things, like just making sure that I'm honoring me as a person. Yeah. Yeah. And I think you do a good job of it. Like laying down your boundaries, especially when it comes to like with your families who I think both your parents know you really well, Mm -hmm. but I think they don't realize that they don't know a certain part of you. So I think, like, you do a really good job of, like, asserting, hey, like, you know, you might not understand why I'm doing this, Mm -hmm. but I'm honoring this other part of me Mm -hmm. that, you know, you might not know kind of thing. Yeah, and I'm I'm really blessed because they're so – like, I have very understanding Mm -hmm. parents. Like, my parents are are quite understanding of all of my cultural and different endeavors (laughs) that I – that they have, like, maybe were not particularly exposed to, but – So I'm very lucky in that way, but it definitely has become a little bit more of like less, you know, honor towards family and more honor towards me. But Mm -hmm. I think I, like, I just want to say that you and I wanted to make sure that this episode was not completely rooted in just like (laughs) South Asian culture, because I think when we talk about shame and honor it sometimes can be just completely rooted in south asian culture and i think a lot of like if we have any listeners who come from asian culture and in general like that's also what they'll think about and i just want to say that all of these things that we talk about you know like my fair and lovely joke and (laughs) these are things that are all rooted in white supremacy oh yeah yeah so i just want to preface that for anyone that's listening to this episode we are not, um, we're not unaware of the fact that all of these cultural things that, uh, are, are, you know, rooted in honor and, uh, rooted in shame, they come from a very long history of white supremacy and colonization in our cultures. Oh yeah. And you can like, you see it so blatantly. And so like, 
shame about color comes from and yeah. a lot of like a lot of racialized communities all over the world yeah it was because of colonization is that um white supremacy has built structures that say that um people who have light skin are better than people who have darker skin and you know kind of kind of interesting to this but not about south asian culture is what's happening with the olympics right now mm-hmm. and how much honor is like so like it's so palpable mm-hmm. when it comes to olympics like you can turn on the news and you can see that like almost every conversation there is like about like they honored the country and they this and i saw it so i follow a lot of indigenous activists on twitter because that's the place where i predominantly learn from them yeah and i don't have to exploit their emotional labor to learn from them so a lot of what I'm seeing is very interesting discussion around feeling pride for like team Canada, Mm -hmm. but also wanting to like dismantle the colonial state in the way that it does work. Mm -hmm. And the, what might seem as hypocritical, but I think it makes me think about honoring people's journeys and honoring the the way people are brave, mm-hmm. you know? And I think, like, from what I saw in a lot of those tweets is, like, I'm not honoring these people because they're Team Canada. I'm honoring these people because they've worked so incredibly hard. And um, one of our our new podcast re- the researchers, we've got an addition to our team, Saibia, she was doing some research, and she found a couple of articles from this skateboarder who's Filipina named Margie Lynn. And it was really interesting to me how her story, so her story is essentially that there is not a lot of avenues for women skateboarders in um, the Philippines. There's not even a skateboarding ramp in the Philippines, like one that she could train in. And so, like, she came from, and she didn't have her own skateboarder, a skateboard for a really long time. And so she came from a circumstance where it was incredibly hard for her to be able to train mm-hmm. in her own country. And there's a lot of infrastructure and gendered obstacles that she faced. But at the same time, she is like the pride and joy of the Philippines for being a Filipina skateboarder in the Olympics. And so, like, when we talk about how Sometimes these things seem hypocritical or these things, they, they're just juxtapositions of each other. They're like, they almost seem like opposite, but also at the same time, not opposites. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a really good example because gender norms around women being skateboarders, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. But at the same time, she is a woman who's a skateboarder who then went to the Olympics and is now suddenly like, you know, a household name in the Philippines. Yeah. And, I think that's a really interesting thing to like identify in terms of like what what do we choose to honor and how do we honor those people and how does it reflect what we truly feel as a society to kind of lean into that a little bit more like the Canadian women's soccer team just won gold mm-hmm. and like how many people watch women's soccer in Canada yeah or do we even have a federation for it yeah I have no idea. Do we, like, does anyone know? No, I don't know. Someone can comment on social media if they know. We'll Google it later, maybe. But yeah, no, because again, like, speaking of Twitter, I'm on Twitter a lot these days. Um, But like, 
they were saying that people want to buy merch, right? To celebrate. Like, you know how when the Raptors win, you buy merch yeah. for, like, every player on the Raptors team or whatever, your favorite player. And people want to do that, but they're not selling merch. Yeah. And it's, like, a it's an, an amazing feat, you know? Like, yeah. that these women have worked so hard. And it's been years since, like, we've won gold for women's soccer at the yeah. Olympics. But... No. And so what place does honor have in society if, like, what place does it really have if we're not then going and saying, oh, okay, like, they won despite all these different obstacles that they had because people treated their gender a certain way. Um, So we're going to make sure that um, now there is a mainstreaming of, like, opportunities for, you know, women soccer players. And we're going to make sure that women's soccer is treated the same way as men's soccer is and we're going to let our country celebrate this achievement as much as the men's soccer team won and Mm -hmm. we're gonna sell the merch and we're gonna have a big parade and we're gonna do this and we're gonna do that and like you know all of this but no that's not part of the conversation from what I've heard the conversation is just this whole thing let's not address like the systemic barriers behind it yeah and so like what place does honor have in society if it is not doing anything yeah I agree and then I also think like when going back to what you you first were saying with like indigenous activists and how do you honor like a how do you honor a country that you that has done you so wrong Mm -hmm. you know like how I don't know these these are just all things and then again like when you're talking about it some people get really offended like nationalism is a huge part of, oh, yeah. of you know you, you feel like I'm honored to be Canadian because we're like these uh, this amazing country and we don't have racism here like so many people feel that way right mm-hmm. but I think more and more people are talking about nationalism in a very negative way mm-hmm. in regards to Canada specifically which right absolutely rightfully yeah. so the conversation needs to be had and then I think a lot of people now are struggling with, well, how do I honor this country that maybe I do love that I feel like has afforded me opportunities, but has done so many people so wrong? Yeah, I've seen a lot of newcomers. um, I work with a lot of newcomer communities as part of my day job. And I've seen a lot of that conversation come from newcomers is like, this country afforded me so much opportunity, in some cases, to live, you Mm. know, sometimes it's a life and death thing. And, but how do I make sure that I'm not partaking in the genocide that's happening in our country? And we see, like, different ways of now, like, different people that we're honoring. So something I'm thinking about is the changing of the name Dundas Street in Toronto and Mississauga. So, like, that's been changed. The idea that Ryerson University possibly might get a new name. The idea that um, the McDonald uh, Cartier Parkway, I think that's what it's called. It's a highway in Ottawa. I should know this, but I don't. Sorry. It's okay. You didn't drive. No, I didn't drive in Ottawa. Um, So, like, that's being changed. And so, like, a lot of these these names are being changed with, like, replaced with Indigenous, Mm -hmm. like, leaders' names. And so, like, again, there's so much complexity in this conversation because then the question is, should you even honor people through statues? And should you even honor people through... Because people aren't perfect. And so, like, is, is like, are we replacing these genocidal leaders um, with 
people who are fighting genocide who then might have something like because people aren't perfect they might have something else that comes up right and then are we going to replace them in 10 years or replace them in 100 years like whatever it may be and I think like I also wonder whether if that's the right way to honor like again I don't have if the majority of indigenous activists or a lot of indigenous activists on the territory say that is how it needs to be done then that is how it needs to be done but like these are questions that I, I constantly think about it's like okay, so then you're honoring these people by, you know, name, giving, naming a bridge after them, naming a street after them. But are you making sure you're also financing the work that they're doing, right? Yeah, that's what I, that's what I was going to say is, is that the way that they would want to be honored? Like, I wonder, is that how they would want to be honored or would they want to see the work actually being done? You know, like it's all nice when you name a street after someone and Mm -hmm. that's great. Or you name a bridge after them like lovely you know it's lovely and we shouldn't be using these like these people's names and honoring you know people who shouldn't be honored but at this on the other end are we doing the work to properly honor people the way that they deserve to be honored yeah and holly our digital researcher said something really interesting right before we started recording which is like this idea of activists as martyrs right Mm -hmm. so like this is a form of forcing martyrdom on activists is like making them heroes that sacrifice themselves for the cause when really they don't need to have to sacrifice as much as they sacrifice if we gave them the resources and we allowed them the space and the authority and the time to do the work that they do then they would not have to sacrifice their mental health they would not have to sacrifice their lives they would not have to sacrifice their spaces their rights Hmm. you know to get this work done and so when it comes to honor, like I think that word in so many ways is so difficult for our society because I think it's very hypocritical in the way that it's done. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, when I think of honor, like all of the things that we're talking about right now, so important, should be spoken about, not what I think about when I think of honor. Yeah. Like not, just not. And I wish it was more of what mm-hmm. I would think about which might be something that I need to work on more, but it's just, I think also when people think of honor, it's, that's not necessarily where they go. No, they go to like pride. And like you said, nationalism. Um, I think we could also honor in a less zero or nothing kind of way. Like, I think we could honor the people in our lives through the way that they've impacted us positively Mm -hmm. i think we could honor the way that good parts of every single culture that seeps into the way that we you know operate on a daily basis Mm -hmm. upholds the things that you know are good to us we could honor like history in terms of the good parts of history that have allowed us to get so many rights that we wouldn't have had you know 10 years ago even i think honoring these these more specific more maybe sometimes smaller maybe more hidden things respecting them I think for me like maybe the changing the narrative has to do with rather than fame and honor it'd be honor and respect honor and give space to honor and support you know rather than um honor and let's give them a shit ton of um Instagram followers or let's 
um, name a bridge after them or let's like, you know, just throw their name somewhere. I think honor might need to change in the way that we perceive it as something that is a lot more long-term and sustainable. Yeah, absolutely. And I think I also, I mean, you touched upon fame a little bit. I think the people that we honor in society also needs to change. We honor, I feel like we have so much focus on celebrities and people who really do nothing. Like, yeah. you know what I mean? I mean, I don't want to say do do nothing. I'm sure they're lovely people, but <laughs> really people who do nothing, like, Nothing towards social good. No, I mean, like, you have so many fan pages and all these things that are happening on social media that people are so zeroed in on. You don't have anything like that for people who are doing amazing things in the world, typically, you know? Mm -hmm. Like, we, I think we put so much importance on honoring fame. Yeah. And fortune. And attention. Yeah. Yeah. I think... If we were to summarize this episode in one or two sentences, it would be that shame and honor both come from places that are incredibly subjective. Mm -hmm. And shame, I would say, has a lot more substance in terms of long-term effect. And I would say honor has a lot less substance in terms of long-term effect and we would argue that that needs to be switched around. Is that honor should, the way, when honor done right, should have a long-term impact on the person that is being honored. Mm-hmm. And then shame should be dismantled and um, discouraged to the point where you can identify really quickly that it, someone is shaming you and that their words are not coming from a good place. And so I think... Yeah, that's my summary there. My Cole's notes of things. Yeah, absolutely. I I completely agree. I, I see shame as a very um, personal type of a thing. I feel like it's very, very long lasting. I think it's hard to disconnect from the shame that you feel sometimes. It's hard to move away from those feelings. And on the opposite end, I feel like it would be much easier for us to honor the things that should be honored, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, well, that's our episode on shame and honor. Episode two. We're moving through these episodes quite fast. We are. We've done two, but it feels like they're they're coming around fast. Um, So thank you, everyone, for tuning in again. Um, let us know what you think, positive or constructive. I'm going to use the word constructive because I don't want any haters around us. Um, no, but let no us haters. know on social media. We always make a post for every episode. So comment or DM us. And you can find us on at ally2, the numerical form, squared, on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And thank you all for listening. Thanks so much. Bye.